Chapter 35 The island of Madeira lay a week's fair weather west of Gibraltar. For the Fiddler's Green, it would be the only stop of the crossing. When the ship slipped into the port city of Funchal, with its glistening limestone edifices and green hills, the crew was hungry for it. Not only had they been shut up and driven nearly sea-mad by six weeks underway, but each and every sailor aboard knew the name Madeira and held it precious. Madeira was the Isle of Wine, the best in the world. But Armand reminded Finn that where sailors and wine run free, tongues are set loose. A loose tongue could arouse suspicion. So, to the dissatisfaction of the crew, she would give no leave to go ashore. The risk was too great. The Fiddler's Green was in port for one reason only, to send a man into the city to learn what he could of the waters ahead. Topper alone walked down the plank and onto the crowded quay, and Finn put her captaincy into exercise in order to calm a rowdy crew. When she emerged from her quarters to answer the angry calls from the deck, she was fully prepared. She'd tied her hair back and rolled it up under a white-rimmed hat. To cover her canvas pants and filthy once-blue shirt, she wore a long coat stitched with lace and fastened with tarnished brass buttons. The coat and hat were creatures. She felt monstrous and small within his clothes, and they smelled of him. Tan's rapier hung at her side, and the final piece of the costume was Betsy. She tucked the blunderbuss into the front of her belt and let it go before her, prominent and threatening. "'Give leave, or we'll take it!' shouted an angry sailor from the forecastle. An eruption of cheers answered him. Finn put her hands behind her back and issued an order. "'Withdraw the plank, Mr. Wagon!' Jack eye-eyed. He pulled the plank away from the pier and dropped it to the deck alongside the rail. None of the crew protested outright, but a smatter of grumbling made its rounds. Finn drew in a deep breath and tried to speak loudly enough to be heard, but calmly enough to sound confident and in control. We have no time to grant leave ashore. We're needed at our destination and haven't time to spare either for your leisure or mine. Now what's Topper got leave for? shouted a young sailor. Finn didn't even know his name. His business is mine and not yours. He'll be done with it before nightfall and we sail on the morning tide. This declaration was not taken well. Men stamped their feet and riled each other up with protests and indignation. Finn expected just such behavior. Armand and Jack had warned her. I will remind you that every hand knew this crossing would have its peculiars. Every man agreed to abide them. The deck quieted. In reward for your agreement, I have instructed Mr. Topper not to return until he has procured for us three barrels of Madeira wine. The grumbling ceased. Several men's eyes widened. One whooped. A smatter of cheering began and washed across the deck. In sharp contrast to the mood only moments before, the deck erupted in chaotic declarations of Captain Button's vast and terrible virtue and then coalesced into a raucous pageant of singing and dancing. And the wine hadn't even arrived yet. Finn tried to raise her voice above the din to regain the attention of the crew, but it was pointless, and she deferred to Jack. He stomped his good leg thrice upon the deck and loosed an elephantine roar that brought the whole affair to an abrupt stop. Thank you, Mr. Wagon, said Finn, and then addressed the crew. You have leave to take your leisure and your wine until daybreak. 
But understand that no man is permitted to go ashore, and anyone who attempts to do so will be put off the ship without pay or compensation. Finn didn't know what else to say, and was anxious to get out of Creech's clothes. She nodded at Jack and let him know she was satisfied. As she retreated, he put the crew at ease. Once back in her cabin, Finn removed the coat and hat and opened up the corner locker to put them away. The scourge hung on its nail, accusatory and blood-crusted, an affront to her conscience. She hung the coat and hat to hide it, then removed Betsy from her belt and placed it back in its case. She laid Tan's rapier across the table. Across the room, Phineas Button lay awake. He coughed and wheezed and cast dispassionate glances in her direction. Though Finn despised him, hated him even, wanted him gone, she still had the undeniable urge to keep him close. She had questions and wanted to demand explanations. Soon he'd be fit enough to care for himself and he'd be gone again. Finn dragged her chair to the bedside. She looked at him. He met her eyes, but only briefly. When she sat down, he erupted into a spasm of coughing. Finn watched coldly as he shook and wheezed. He curled his fingers into an arthritic fist and raised it to cover his mouth and wipe away the spume on his lips. When he eased himself back onto his pillow, he turned his eyes to the wall. His breath rattled as he drew it. It came out of him like the rasp of iron on a whetstone. His matted beard twisted across his face, hiding the deep hollows of his cheeks behind a tangle of reddened roots. His eyes were sunken and underslung, with great bags gone purplish-brown with age. He was a miserable and wretched sight. Where is my mother? Finn's question was empty of hope, uttered without the expectation of an answer. He didn't look at her. He worked his mouth around, sending his beard into a fit of twitches and shudders. Spittle hung from his mustache. Smallpox, he said. He shifted and almost met her eyes before he turned back to the wall. He nodded softly to himself, periodically grunting as if in agreement to some silent argument in his mind. Tell me her name. He continued nodding to himself, the movements of his head becoming sharper, more insistent. And he cleared his throat and spoke. <coughs> Matilda May. The sound of her mother's name washed over Finn. It rang in her ears like a musical note. Silently, she formed the name on her lips, as if she might taste it. The knowledge of the name itself suggested a form to her, a face, a color, a scent. She could never know what her mother looked like, but the name painted a picture in her mind that she could believe in. She imagined a woman tall and square-shouldered, with a graceful neck and hair that tumbled down in wheat-colored ropes. If she tried to imagine her too specifically, the image fell apart but she caught glimpses, impressions, a smile on thin lips, a forehead creased with worry, slender hands calloused but elegant. Finn even caught an ephemeral wisp of laughter, a raspy sound mingled with notes of sadness. She said the name aloud, Matilda May Button. It was sweet on her tongue, and Finn chased after the phantoms it conjured in her mind. Phineas Button lifted a gnarled hand and gestured in the air. His fingers moved up and down in a counting motion. 
Lucy first, then Bella. He raised his hand as he said the names and nodded his head, jerking his chin sharply down to his chest. Tilda was third. Tilda May. He waved his hand in front of him like a man trying to clear a stench from the air. All. All of them. Who? said Finn. Gone. Lucy. Bella. Isanna. Ellen May. (coughs) He broke into another fit of coughing. Finn raised her hand and leaned forward as if to comfort him somehow, but hesitated. Refused. Who? Who are Lucy, Bella, and Ellen May? Are they my sisters? Where have they gone? (coughs) Smallpox, he said through his coughing. Finn leaned further forward and took hold of his shoulders. She shook him until he looked at her. Are they dead? Tell me. All gone to the pox. She wouldn't let him turn away, but his eyes wouldn't settle. They glanced at hers only moments before jumping to the right to the left, always shifting. Finn's lips stiffened. She was afraid that she might begin to sob. She gritted her teeth and shook him until she could speak. Why are you here? Why? A dark, abyssal emptiness widened inside of her, and the word daughter billowed out of it. His eyes darted, circled her face, considered everything in her periphery but wouldn't consider her. He forced his head to the side and lay limp in her arms until she released him. Finn rose and crossed the room to Betsy's case. She placed it on the table and unlatched it. Phineas Button followed her movements with his eyes. I have one more question for you. Finn's heart hammered in her chest. She felt the beating of it in her ears. Sister Carmeline at the orphanage. She told me why you left me there. Finn held the question on her lips. She rolled it across her tongue, tasting it, cold, bitter, like the tang of metal. When she was certain she wanted to spew it, certain she could abide its answer, she gave it life and breathed it out. If I had been a boy, would you have kept me? The question hung between them like a tendril of lightning capable of both illumination and destruction. Finn lifted the case open and laid her eyes on Betsy's cool barrel. She traced its lines with her fingers, caressed it. Phineas Button shrank into the linens of the bed and clutched his hands to his chest. He cleared his throat but did not speak. Instead, he held his eyes upon her at last and answered with a single decisive nod of affirmation. Finn's blood cooled. If he had lied to her, if he had made excuses, she might have killed him. The truth, however, was his pardon and his damnation both. She raised the fiddle and bow out of the case, closed the lid, and walked to the door. Before she walked out, she turned to him. His eyes were wild again, scattered around the room, fixing on everything but her. She didn't wait for him to see her. She no longer cared. Then I am an orphan still, she said. Finn left the captain's cabin and went to the crew. Bartimaeus had taught her long ago what to do with grief. 
turn it to beauty.